This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Here, thank you so much for making time for this. I'm very grateful and honored to have you on the show. Of course, my pleasure. Thank you. Um, you know, I'm a follower, a big fan, so it makes <laughs> it. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, I appreciate it. So, I guess the first thing I wanted to get your thoughts on is: it feels like your era of pop punk has been having a moment for the past couple of years, but I think, like, even like right now, I feel like it's at absolute like peak. I don't know, it's not even nostalgia. It's like appreciation, I guess I would say, because it's not just nostalgia because there's a lot of, you know, younger people into it too. How do you feel about that? And what do you think is behind all that? Um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, there's been a bit of a revival. I think it started, you know, a few years ago, kind of like when uh, artists like Machine Gun Kelly kind of brought back the style a little bit. And, you know, Travis Barker started producing all these records. And I feel like... Uh, it did. I mean, there's definitely, you know, a difference. There was, I mean, for us, you know, we started, our, our band came out in 2002 and that was like the peak. If we, we were almost at the tail end of it because when we got yeah. signed, our record label was like, might be too late on this wave of pop punk. Right. So anyways, th and then it, it became popular for a while. Then there was a, there was a lull for sure. I mean, the scene has always been around. Bands Warped Tour has always been a success through all those years, but on the mainstream, it definitely kind of dipped down and other styles kind of took over. Uh, and now, yeah, it's, it, it's interesting. There's uh, the, the, the wave that sort of, like I said, began with Machine Gun Kelly and that sort of new era has kind of, you know, stuck around. It's still there. And as you're saying, it's almost like at its peak. Um, I'm not really sure why. I think maybe, you know, uh, I think the appreciation of the of the emo scene and how easily that goes well hand in hand with memes, you know, like yeah, I almost yeah. feel like <laughs> the, the meme culture has helped sort of, uh, you know, has helped keep that in the, in the, in the forefront of people's mind. And, and yeah, I, I can't really pinpoint exactly what it is, but I guess a lot of great songs, you know, a lot of great songs have come out yep. from the early two thousands, you know, bands like Blink 182 are they're they're now, I mean, Tom just got back and now they're back on tour. So that also helps the whole thing. There's so many little factors here and there. A lot of bands like my, like mine and, you know, yellow card came back and yeah. uh, bands that are touring more. Uh, I know we were on tour a lot with some 41 last year and they've just announced that they're, you know, disbanding. So that almost creates more excitement. So there's a lot of things, you know? Um, but uh, I think at the base of it all is that there's songs that, that uh that are meaningful to people that have you know impacted them in a deep way uh that 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 you know that so deeply that they remain fans for for a lifetime that's what i find is the most um interesting thing about about our scene and even like our band particularly i think that we've been able to write songs and connect with a fan base so deeply that they're the kind of people that they're like yeah i love this band when i was 13 14 15 18 whatever it was but the songs meant so much to me at that time that if i hear them when i'm 50 i'm still gonna feel like oh yes you know so i think that's a big factor but all those things together yeah it's it's but it's cool and then, and then there was also the you know the, the tiktok i'm just a kid um yeah. phenomenon that so all those things kind of like created a perfect storm where today you see the early 2000s pop punk be more present than it was like 10 years ago yeah well, you mentioned MGK, which I think is interesting because a lot of people really don't want to give him credit. But I mean, there's no question about it, whether you like him or his music or not is, sort, is a whole other question. But I mean, the fact of the matter is Tickets My Downfall was a Billboard number one album. You can't deny that. He, he really did bring the genre back to the forefront in a way that nobody else had 
in a long time. And really quick, before we go any further, have you checked out my Patreon? Patrons get early access to all my main channel videos and my podcasts. I also do giveaways sometimes. For example, I just gave away a pair of these Eargasm earplugs. And if you want me to review your music, there's a way to do that as well. All you gotta do is join at the $10 and up level, then every month I do a call for submissions. If you want me to review something, all you gotta do is drop it in the comments of that post, then I will review it live on Twitch and post it on Patreon for everyone to see. So if that sounds cool, hit the link in the description of this video and I appreciate your support. Yeah, I agree. I give him credit for that. I think that, uh, I listen, I, I think he's got some great songs. There's just like any artist, there are some songs of his that I don't appreciate as much, but like I'm sure people said the same thing about my music. Sure. Um, and, uh, but yeah, there's some great stuff and he did definitely, he brought, he kind of brought back pop punk with a flavor that didn't really, that wasn't really as prominent before. Like he was more into hip hop and like his singing is more kind of like low talking. And, yeah. um, but it, it really, you know, that sparked uh, all of his stuff with Travis Barker. And then, you know, all the other stuff came around. So yeah, I definitely give him credit for reigniting something uh, that, uh, that we can all appreciate now, you know? The other thing he did, which I, w- I want to ask you about your, uh, I want to ask you, I have lots of questions about this, but the other thing he did that I think a lot of people maybe don't appreciate is he put it back in the mainstream of pop culture. Because remember, you know, people think of your era of pop punk as being this sort of like, I don't know, I don't want to say underground thing, but a big part of it is like, you know, you had a show on MTV, Travis had shows on MTV, like this was not underground stuff. It was no. as mainstream as it gets. And I think yeah. that's really important. It's a good thing. MGK, you know, is in TMZ and stuff and put it back in the mainstream spotlight. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you don't, you know, uh, and, and I'm not trying to, uh, to, to be boastful or anything, but you don't sell 2.5 or whatever, almost 3 million copies of an album by remaining uh, underground. You know, it's definitely. Impossible. What, what, no, what, when we were, you know, when we came out even before that, like Blink-182 was z- zero underground. That was like, everybody knew who that was. And, right. so, you know, when Sum 41 came out and and then us and then Wilka Charlotte also, those three bands to me were like, they were, we wrote on their, on, on Green Day and Blink-182's coattails, but absolutely it was not underground whatsoever. It was, it was MTV, TRL, it was billboard charting stuff. And it was, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a good thing. And listen, I understand the feeling of having uh, of wanting to keep something secret to yourself. I understand that. Listen, I was a I was a teenager at some point, and I remember in my first you know my first band, which was with Chuck, um, you know, my drummer in Simple Plan. Uh, we, I even I remember writing a song because I was a big fan of Green Day, and then Green Day blew up, and I and it right. kind of upset me. I was like. I don't want the, the the girls in my class in high school to sing Green Day. This is my band, you know. But you know, with a little more, a little more age and maturity, I understand that that's you know that's that's part of the journey. And and uh, it, I think it is a good thing that that uh, that it becomes mainstream because you want to see those acts be successful. Because what does success, what does success do to an act? Well, success allows you to focus on it more and to dedicate your life to something and not having to have another job. You know, like when I was in my first punk band a band called reset i didn't make enough money to barely pay for instruments so would that have continued probably not at some point reality would have stepped in and been like hey you you can't afford to do this so i do agree that it's a good thing that mgk brought this back in the mainstream and um you know there there are some pros and cons about that but i think uh yeah it's it's a it's definitely as as you as you mentioned it wasn't an underground thing it was definitely a uh, you know, as much as people might want to think that like it was, yeah, it was this little subculture. It wasn't a subculture. It was, uh, no. even though it was a subculture, it was, it was huge, you know? Yeah. Well, you mentioned TRL, which I am absolutely obsessed with that show. And I just made a video about it. I'm, I'm dedicated to like spreading the gospel of TRL because <laughs> I think it was amazing. You were on there quite a bit. Um, yep. I, I want to know everything about being on TRL. What was that like? Um, you know, it's funny for me because all those early years of the band and we, you know, we I've been in a band for probably six years before that. But we got, you know, relatively quick success with, with Simple Plan and all those experiences. I wish I could go back and relive them again because it, it went by so fast and it was so like you're going here. We were we were in Times Square. We were I mean, we go to New York all the time because our label was there. 
and uh, we'd be going to TRL every couple of months. And uh, I have to say, it was it was an awesome time. Everyone there was super cool. It was this big production thing. You'd walk up to the MTV, get checked all your security stuff, go in there, have your little green room, have your food. Like, okay, you'll be on like 15 minutes and go to makeup. And it was like, it was an it was a cool little thing. We even played, we even played MTV's. Uh, I think it was two thousand three, two thousand two to three or three to four. The New Year's Eve batch where we played in the studios as the ball dropped. So we were there all the time. Uh, but it was super fun. All of the the VJs were super nice. We had a great time. And I have to say, I, I have to give credit because I believe. Well, I don't believe it. This is a fact. Simple plan has a lot uh, the, the one of the one of the big reasons why we became successful was because MTV backed us before radio like it was a time when MTV had the power to break a band and with us they really did we had the support of it uh, we had a great guy at uh, lava records named uh, Doug Cohn who he was like the he was the guy that took care of, of uh, you know all the VH1 MTV stuff and he pushed us at MTV and the MTV execs were like we like this band we're gonna play them and they played them they played us before before we had any success and that kind of fueled everything else. So yeah, TRL was something that I look back with a lot of gratitude and uh, a lot of cool experiences. We met Tom Hanks on the, on TRL, uh, saw a lot of cool celebrities. So it was really fun. And I Quiet think down, Carson, Quiet down. my dogs are being, being shh. that's busy. Yeah. Uh, Carson was actually like a fan of punk, right? Yeah. He was super cool. Carson Daly was awesome. We met him a bunch of times. Uh, Who's the other guy? Uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now. Um, Damien, who now writes for Family Guy. Damien was a, uh, I don't forget what his last name was, but Damien was an awesome host too. And we became friends and went out and had drinks in New York. And so there was a lot of cool people there. But yeah, um, they, they all were super supportive. And it was a real tight-knit family there that were, in my experience, all really nice people. I just thought it was amazing to see you know, I mean, I remember Newfound Glory when, you know, Chad was in the hardcore scene and stuff like that. And then to to see all the all your bands, you know, on TRL and Times Square with crowds of screaming teenagers in front of it. Like, I thought that was fucking cool because I yeah. felt like it was like my people winning. Yeah, no, I think it's awesome. You know, and, I, and like I said, there's, you know, there's the punk rock elite that will, you know, frown on those kind of things. But I think I think it was great. It was a great time. And I think it it. uh it gave birth to a lot of awesome bands. And I think that, uh, like you said, people may want to think that it was all underground stuff, but it was definitely hitting the mainstream, you know, and that's, that's why, you know, the, that type of success is what fueled, um, you successful tours like the pop disaster tour, which was green day and blink 182, which we had the honor to open for, but we didn't at the time we were so new that we didn't get to play on the stage. We played in the parking lot because it was oh, like, wow. <laughs> it was amphitheaters and they were all sold out, like probably 15 to 20,000 people, if not more every night. And we went on, on that tour for like three, four weeks. And, uh, we, we got to play, like they would find a place for us at the amphitheater, whether it's the parking lot or like the, the concession stands and they would <laughs> stick a stage up and we played there. And that was also another reason why we made it like, and, but those experiences to me are all, um, you know, we're all uh, possible because of the success of these bands and that and that music and that style. Yeah, they couldn't put you on unless they were playing these like giant shows and had the the ability to take a chance on a smaller band. Exactly. Yeah. Boys, uh, quit it. Jeez, stop it. He looks guilty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Another thing that seems like it was a a big part of your success is you guys were involved. In a whole lot of these, I guess I would say like teen movies in the beginning, like there was Freaky Friday and The New Guy, and it seems like that gave you a really big boost. Was that like a deliberate strategy on the part of you and your team, or did it just happen, or yeah. where did that come from? Yeah, we were digging hard for those. I mean, we had another another great component of Lava Records um, was uh, uh, Kevin Weaver, who's still in the in the movie business and the movie music business. And he was a hustler. And for Lava, he was placing all these acts everywhere. And at the time, I really do believe that that movie placements were, especially certain movie placements, were really incredible for people's career. Like to be on an American Pie, like yep. we were on American Pie, and it was like to be on American Pie was like the the golden ticket. We didn't make it on that one. I think we might have been on the second one, but I'm not sure. Um, but all those placements, I mean, back in those days, music in movies was like you know soundtracks were huge people would buy mm -hmm. soundtracks and that's how they would discover bands you know 
Um, and also I feel that that style of music in those movies, it was like more of a, when the move, when the song came came out, came onto the movie, it was more impactful where now I think that the style of music that people use for ads and for movies is more, a little bit more like, um, you know, kind of background music. Yeah. And, I, and I, and I say that with all due respect, because I do listen to stuff that I would consider to be more background music, but I'm a huge fan of sure. bands like, you know, crying bin. I don't even know how you say that name, but, um, but back in the day, yeah. Like, like those soundtracks, the new guy for us was huge. They, they paid for the video. Um, right. and, uh, all those placements. I think we had like back in those days, we had like 180 different musical placements and movies and TV shows. Uh, oh, we shit. were the, we were the theme song for, uh, I'm forgetting now. Uh, it was so, some MTV show about uh, about high school life or college life. I forget what it was. Um, anyways, was but so all many. those placements were huge, you know. So that it was, was it, it. And it made so much sense because the stuff you guys were writing. To your point earlier, the stuff you guys were writing about was the same stuff they were making the movies about. And so when that song came on, it was like it was it was about the situation in the movie or the tv show and so it really just like set that emotional tone yeah absolutely no it was a big it was a big thing and um yeah it was a, it was it was a different time and and movies and music in in tv had a different role back then you know right like right. blink had a lot of big placements and uh just all those bands and i think like i said like to be if you were able to be hold on a second someone's calling me i have to and this, this is, why do they do this? No. Send a voicemail. Do you still see me all right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Banish to voicemail. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, so they were they were just a big, big part of, of the these, of discovering bands, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. uh, still to this day, I was like, when they did American Pie, I was like, why didn't they put us on? <laughs> I would have been a perfect would have been a perfect choice. Yeah, yeah. And then you have yeah, you you got those different connections. Like we did a lot of late night TV shows were a big thing back then too. Mm -hmm. If you were on Conan, we we did Conan a bunch of times. We did Kimmel, which we awesome people there. But we never got David Letterman because apparently <laughs> there was a, someone that booked the Letterman thing that did not like Simple Plan. I don't know what we what we ever did, but we are that was one we never we never nailed. But maybe there's there's still time. Yeah. Who knows. <laughs> I, that's kind of my theory about what's driving a lot of this revival is I think um, there was a, they call it like a monoculture back then. You know, there was this it was an era of media where everyone knew about the same stuff. Like if there was a big movie out, even if you didn't care about the movie, you knew about it. Or like, for mm -hmm. example, you remember uh, the uh, uh, Jennifer Aniston's haircut on Friends, the Rachel. Right. Yeah. Everyone knew about that. Whether you watched Friends or not, everyone knew about Jennifer Aniston's haircut. Yeah. Now, because everyone has their own feed on social media and stuff like that, like we're not watching the same, the same culture. And so I just, I don't think it's possible to build stars like we did back then. Well, you know, the reality is that um, I think that back in those days, the uh, most of our, of our, of our culture, most of our, our, um, our pop culture was controlled by these big corporations right. and they got to pick what was going to be, popular or what was exactly. I going to focus on where now, like you're saying, there's a lot more, there's a lot of different channels. There's different ways for you to promote yourself, which is great from an artist's point of view, because you have more opportunity, but you know, it's uh yeah, the result is that there's a lot, there's a lot more noise out there, a lot more stuff going on. Whereas back then it was like, yeah, like if you were able to get in, get your foot through the door, then you, you had a, a chance of being really, really big. Let Where's me uh, now, get my I'm put my dogs outside. Sure. They're annoying the crap out of me. You boys are insane. Go outside. Go. Go, go, go. Sorry about that. Oh, no problem. I figured I would bring them inside so they wouldn't scratch up my door and then they just annoy the crap out of me. <laughs> being a being a dog dad, it's tough yeah. business. Yeah. So yeah, you got I was dogs, thinking, right? Uh we have cat. Oh, you have cat, nice. I have, yeah, I've I've got a cat too. I've got I've got a cat, three dogs, and 11 chickens. Wow. Okay. Chickens. Yeah, yeah. It's a zoo over here. <laughs> um, you know, to your point earlier about sort of this like fragmentation, you know, there's artists now that I look up on Spotify that have billions of streams and I've never heard of them. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, this is weird. You know, we're watching different it, movies now. It's true. And <clears throat> 
I, I question whether that is because there's many different channels and which we're not obviously following them all, or is it because we're just getting older, you know, like they're, it's you know, both, like for sure. Yeah. It's, it's a bit of both, you know? Um, so it's, uh, but yeah, it's, there's definitely a lot of artists out there that, I mean, I just watched like the, if you watch the Grammys, I'm like, who, who? Who's that? Right. And obviously they're, they're doing and, really, and, really well. And we are older, but, yeah. you know, you're a professional musician. It's not like you're disconnected right. from what's happening in music. True. To a you certain know? extent, I, I don't, I, I, I kind of stay in my bubble sometimes and I don't, uh, I don't, you know, try to purposely educate myself to what's hot right now. I just kind of sure. like stick to my own. Yeah. Um, one of the things I really liked about Simple Plan is that I, I think of you guys as being kind of, the most, I would say, G-rated of the big pop-punk bands, which yep. I really liked just because, to me, it's really refreshing to hear something that's not super dark and cynical and edgy. Do you agree with that? And and if so, was that like a deliberate decision on your part? Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, I I mean, I'm not afraid to admit it. We're, we're definitely on the pop-punk list of bands. We're definitely on the poppier side. Yeah. And... I'm not really sure what to attribute that to. I remember, you know, when I was younger, I was in a band that was like a metal punk band because my guitar player was uh, a guy that lived down the street from Chuck's house. And um, he, uh, we went to the same high school and he was a death metal fan. He was Are like, you talking about reset or something? Yeah. Else? Reset. Yeah. Yeah. Very metal. Yeah. Very metal Be because my guitar player literally was only able, not as that's rude. He was most comfortable playing because he listened to DSI, he listened to, you know, Megadeth or whatever, I don't even know what to listen to, but he was really into metal. So all of our songs sounded really, really, really metal. But when we kind of disbanded and formed Simple Plan, I was a huge fan of, you know, Green Day, Blink-182 and their success. And I was like, this is so awesome. I want to do stuff like that. And I really loved strumming and being more poppy. But my, it's funny because, you know, uh, we are very, very pop. And sometimes I wish that my writing wasn't so pop, but I, over the years, I've come to realize that when something comes out of me, whether it's on the piano or the guitar, I write melodies that they're just really melodic and very poppy. And, you know, if you combine that with not swearing, which we usually don't do, um, it just sounds more pop. And it's, it, it's almost like, uh, it's, sometimes it bugs me because I'm like, man, I, I, I listen to other things and I'm like, oh, like I love Thrice. I think that Thrice is amazing. I, I love that. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't love all of their stuff and of like the same as any, anybody yeah. any, and the other artists. But like for me, Artist in the Ambulance was one of the best records of all time. I still listen to it to this day. Um, and I think if I tried to write that, it wouldn't come out like that. Like I'm just I'm just more melodic in a, in a, in a poppier way. And it's just it's just who I am. And uh, was it intentional? I think to a certain degree, when Chuck and I shifted from reset to simple plan, there was an absolute um, intentional, let's go to something more poppy because we like that. Because, you know, I like, you know, what Blink-182 is doing and then the na 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 all the small, like that was, yeah. that I was like, this is awesome. So, but, but in trying to emulate them, simple plan you know uh was born so uh it's it's interesting how it's like was it intentional to a certain degree but um not like trying to be like let's be squeaky clean like it's just like sometimes i feel like i'm i'm too clean even for myself like my i listen <laughs> I, li I listen to my music from back in the day and i'm like oh man i wish we had done it this way or i wish it was more and also i have to say with some hindsight our first producer was Arnold Lanny, who was not a pop punk producer whatsoever. He was not a pop punk writer. He was not a pop punk producer. Um, and he had come from the absolute pop world. He was in a band called Sheriff. He was uh, he was uh, in a band called Frozen Ghost. He was a singer, piano player. Uh, and he he produced big records in Canada for Our Lady Peace, which is a massive band. Yeah. Uh, and we love the production for Our Lady Peace. And we're like, OK. And when we when we landed our deal with uh, our management company, they worked with Arnold because it was kind of a relationship there. So we had a deal where he was going to produce the record. When we got signed, it was already set. And we're like, OK, well, he's not really pop punk, but we love Our Lady Peace. So it's going to sound great. But the result of it is that our first record, to me, 
you know, no pun intended, lacks a bit of balls. Like it's, it's uh, the sound of it. I mean, I was more into what Jerry Finn was doing and I was more into uh, other bands sound. And, but we had done a deal where he'd helped us with the demos and he was going to produce a record and that was the way it was. So it kind of set us apart in, in our sound. Like our sound sounds a little bit, bit different than everybody else's and probably cleaner and poppier. Yeah. And that has a bit to do with Arnold's sort of aesthetic. Um, and even to the, the way he wanted me to sing and the way he kind of like pushed me, not pushed me, but uh, sort of um, directed, directed me. Yeah to sing um and that's why i think you see a big leap before after our first album to our second album um which we kind of felt like oh man that was so pop and like the drums don't sound bombastic and the guitars aren't as powerful as we wanted to so we're on the second record even though we had a deal with arnold that he was supposed to make the second record we sort of renegotiated and, and went with bob rock because we're like right. You know, we're like, we did the black album and stuff like that for anyone who may not know. He did like American Hi-Fi and he'd done um, some more pop punk stuff. But we're like, man, we're like, we lack the we lack that that heaviness and that energy. So let's go with someone else, you know. Um, But yeah, so kind of a long circle around your question. Was it intentional to be poppy a little bit? But I I, I think that uh, it just happened organically with with uh, with Arnold and and. And yeah, just my songwriting, like even even to this day, like when I write for Simple Plan or if I write for somebody else, sometimes I look back and at the end result of what I've created, I'm like, God damn, it's it's so catchy. Sometimes it's like annoyingly catchy. And I'm like, I wish like like I said, I'm a fan of I'm a fan of things that are more late, not more chill and abstract and like even lyrically, like I'm a fan of stuff that's like a little more uh, not so on the nose. But yet my yeah. writing always seems to fall on the nose and it's just the way I am. Yeah. Well, that's what I, li- <clears throat> that's what I liked about it. It took me a little bit at first cause I was expecting it to be, you know, I guess for lack of a better word, more punk, but yeah. then I was like, okay, this is, this is pop punk, you know? And then, and then I really liked it after I just sort of reoriented, I had expectations and I reoriented. I was like, okay, this is closer to backstreet boys than it is to no effects. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. For sure. And I and I love pop. So I it, I actually I think that's one of the strongest records of that whole era. Well, thank you. For I that mean, exact reason. Yeah. Well, I I think that that's what I have to keep telling myself because I think as an artist you look back at your art and a lot of times like I look I look back at it and when if I'm somewhere and my first album is playing somewhere I have to run away. I'm like oh my god I can't I can't like and it's <laughs> but I have to understand that the numbers speak for themselves. There was a lot of fans. That was our most successful yeah. record. Sure, it has to do with the era, but I mean, people to this day come to our shows because of that first album. And, you know, maybe then it, it introduced them to the rest of the catalog, but like, you know, it's uh, it, it's a great record. And, you know, uh, I was, it's funny, I was even, I was in a writing session with uh, uh, Chad Tepper, a buddy of mine who have became yeah, friends with, and, yeah, and Mitchie, Mitchie Collins, who's the singer for uh, Lovely the Band. And he was like, oh, yeah, man, it's like your first record is like, I do anything. And he started playing the riff and I'm like, Holy shit. Like you're a band who I think is more on the, you know, more hip, more cool. And you like that record. So it's so, you know, so it's all yeah. good. But it feels like you kind of went back to that a little bit with, I forget the one from 2016. I forget the name of that album, but it feels like you kind of went back to that a little yeah, bit. Get your heart me. on. Yeah. I was yeah. like, this just feels like an updated version of the first album which is a really hard thing to pull off because it's whatever, you know, 15, 20 years later, you're different people. You're not kids anymore. And it, and it really worked. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was a great record for us. And um, I think we consciously, you know, the sort of the arc of the band's career, you know, we came out swinging with no pads. And uh, because I think we were at that point, we were all kind of seasoned uh, music writers and, and not seasoned but like we were we had some experience and the reason why that record became so big as our debut is because we had experience in you know in in uh in indie bands and stuff and we're like you know we, we want this to be big um but the arc was really that first record blew up we were lucky enough to have a sophomore record that also did really well multi-platinum around the world um and then our third record was a tough one because the whole musical landscape had changed and you know, you didn't see bands like us or even Blink or Green Day being on the top of the charts anymore. 
Um, and it kind of became, you know, now we're looking at like Timbaland production kind of stuff and Nelly right. Furtado and Justin Timberlake. And it kind of threw us for a curveball because we're like, we're like, what do we do now? Like, and then you also, as an artist at that point, you start to ask yourself like, okay, do we need to change? Do we need, well, what, what can we, how do we prove that we're more than just simple plan, you know, yeah. which is an interesting thing. Um, but so the third record was kind of a flop because not only did the industry kind of, you know, turn its head away from pop punk, but um, it just didn't do super well. So by the time the fourth record came out, it was the emo hair. That's, that's yeah, what did it. Totally. It was the, <laughs> it was the take yourself too seriously, wear button up shirts and put your hair like this. And it, it screwed us. Although now what's funny is that the biggest simple plan fans will always say that's their favorite record. So um, I can see that. Yeah. Uh, uh, but anyways, so our fourth record, we really wanted to sort of like ignore that. Um, and by the way, I think I might be mixing up records here. 2016 was was not Get Your Heart On. It was uh, Take Your One for the Team. Um, I'm bad at remembering album names, so I apologize. Yeah, but, but to me, they're, they're very similar because at that point, I'm thinking about 2011 probably. Um, at that point, we decided we're no longer going to like try to prove that we're something different because fans right. that like Simple Plan fell in love with I'm sorry, I can't be put. They want that again. Yeah. And, I, and I understand that. And I. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. I feel like there are some artists that, you know, look at their success and say, I'm not doing that anymore. Screw that. I'm going to do something. And, and we've kind of done that for a minute. Which I but think is I really. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers, think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast. Ultimately a selfish thing. Yeah, you know? I mean, I, I'm not going to slam anyone for doing that because I think, you know, a lot of bands, it, it, I, funny, I, you know, I follow Billy Corgan and he explains how, you know, they they did that and, like they, and, it, and it really shaped who they are. So you can do it. And look at Fall Out Boy. Fall Out Boy. Sure. You know, shock the world with love, I'm on fire. Yeah. and it and it and it reshaped them into something different, and that worked for them. But we are of the frame of mind now where we embrace where we came from. We understand, um, you know, that fans sort of like that about us, and and uh, and the challenge because it is a challenge is to stick within those borders while still, you know, while still being current and still being yeah. uh, creative, but how do we stick within those parameters and, and satisfy the fan base? Because, because that's who loves us yeah. and, uh, and, and remain relevant, you know? So I, I like doing that now and we've kind of, you know, like 2011 and then the following record 2016, we really sort of like embrace that, like, you know, let's just be simple plan. And if we want yeah. to do something else, if I want to make a country record, then I'll make a country record and it won't be simple plan. You know, if I want right. to make a, a record that's going to sound more like, um, like Tame Impala, then I can do that and I can call it, you know, Pierre's Boutique, whatever, you know. Yeah. I just think it's so frustrating when there's bands that, you know, won't play the hits and it's like, dude, there's 
hundreds or thousands of people who came here and paid money that just want to see you play this song. And like, shouldn't you just be excited that anybody gives a shit about something you did 20 years ago? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I, maybe it's my Canadian nature. I don't like talking shit about anybody. Uh, but there are some bands out there that do that. We all know who they are. Yeah. Um, and I, it's, it's not something I think is cool. It's, you know, I mean, all power to them if they want to do it, but I agree, you know, I mean, but the, if it, doesn't, I, it doesn't make them happy. They're frustrated. You know, it's like they're, they're fighting their fans and it's like, you can do that if you want, but I just think it would be they'd be happier people if they just practiced a little gratitude. Yeah, yeah, instead totally. Of being and, angry that people like something you did a long time ago. Yeah, and and the, and the bottom line is that if a, in a and if a band is frustrated by the success of a certain song, my advice would be like, okay, I understand you don't want people shouting, you like play creep or yeah, whatever yeah. they're going to say, you yeah. know. So play it in the beginning of the set. Yep. Play the songs you don't want to play. Knock them out. It'll take you eight minutes, maybe ten. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the three songs that you don't want to play, play those. And the people that came to see them, maybe they'll walk away. Fine. And then, and then everyone's happy, you know. So yeah, I, yeah. Th I think you know we when we play a show, we play. I'm just a kid. Every time we play, perfect. We play. I do anything. We play. Addicted. We play all those. Welcome to my life because I know that those songs mean a lot to some people. And and uh, and like you said, I'm grateful that we've created those songs and that that they connected with people. So we'll I thought it was play. cool. I saw you guys on the uh, Sum 41 tour last year, and uh, there was a woman in front of me who was just going crazy. And uh, and her friend, she was I think she had a, a little bit to drink, and her friend was like, I'm, I'm sorry. It's just she's really excited because this is her first time away from her kids, you know, in months. And I thought that was awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, that she's a mom now and that this still means so much to her and she's still having fun with these same songs and for you guys to be able to give her that same feeling, you know, in her thirties as a mother is awesome. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really interesting thing about being a band that has had longevity um, and, you know, lucky enough to have some continued successes to see people that, you know, I, I have to imagine that for some people, our first and second record back in those days in the early two thousands, that was their most, you know, significant, musical you know the, the most significant albums they'd ever experienced or purchased sure and that's to me that's incredible because you know we all have those artists that you, you look back at and you think like when i grew up you know this record changed my life or whatever and to be able to be that band for someone and and yeah see them grow up and and the coolest thing oftentimes now because we do like meet and greets and we'll have someone show up with a young with a young child you know and uh, it'll be like, you know, a seven, eight year old or whatever. And they're like, you know, this, this is my kid. And I grew up listening to your music and now my kid loves your music. So to some people now we've become that band that like, oh, my mom loved you. Or like, <laughs> you're my mom's favorite band or my, and it's like, it's so weird. You know, so it goes into the bigger, the bigger question of like what it feels like to, 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 to get older, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, to be, to be part of that, to be, around long enough to see that happen to be someone's parents favorite band and they like them too it feels like to me what it would be like for me to say to my dad oh, i think the beatles are awesome he's like yeah. oh that was my favorite band you know <laughs> and i'm not comparing someone playing to the beatles so you know but but uh it's pretty cool yeah well the flip side of that you've talked about this before in interviews about how much of backlash you got from the you know real punk people i, th I think i remember someone threw a bottle or something at you once um yeah i would imagine that probably wasn't super fun <laughs> how did that feel at the time not the not just the bottle but just in general you know all you guys and all those bands got so much shit yeah no there was a and, and i to you know to set the record straight I, I i had thousands of bottles thrown at me in my career <laughs> okay. but uh but one landed in my face uh which was is, strangely enough was in canada um but uh yeah so in those days when, you know, Simple Plan, Good Charlotte, Some 41, New Found Glory, maybe less New Found Glory, but uh, all those bands that we kind of blew up and we were more poppy. Um, yeah, there was a lot of hate. You know what I mean? There was, I, mean, I remember even the cover, when we did the cover of Al Alternative Press, the cover was about how much we were loved and hated, you know? Mm. So it was, uh, it was a big thing. And I remember we even like, whenever we we thought about doing like festivals or certain things or, or who we'd play before or who we'd play after, it was always a discussion like, Oh fuck, man, we're going to get fucking right, killed. Right. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, um, if you got to play up was, to Rancid or something like that. You yeah, know. It, it was interesting, but I think it kind of built some character into us and like playing Warp Tour and like, you know, playing uh, the smaller. We almost preferred playing the smaller stages because we knew that we'd only get people that wanted to come to see our band as opposed <laughs> to the people that are like, fuck you. Right. There's no effects. Pennywise is coming up, you know. But yeah, I mean, uh, it was it was uh, an interesting time. But yeah, it built some, you know, it, it actually gave us a bit of a chip on our shoulder, which fueled a lot of our creativity. Um, but uh, but it's interesting. Yeah, I got so I got hit in the face by a bottle in somewhere in Ontario, in Canada. And it was a show that we were playing with some 41, uh, oddly enough. But um, I was we were playing a show. We were almost we were like three quarters of the set done and a bottle of like you know, those, those like 500 milliliter, milliliter bottles of like Coke with the, with the bottle on the bottom like this, it was yeah. full or pretty full. And it was swung at me. I don't know how far, like hundreds of feet away. And it clocked me right in the face and cut my face. And I think it chipped a little bit of my, of my, uh, <laughs> my bone here. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I had to stop the show. I was, I was almost knocked out, but, um, it was, I'm saying this because years later, you know, I have a cameo. I have a cameo uh, uh, account where I, I do cameos for people. Someone said, "Hey, I want to get a cameo for this girl. She threw a bottle at you in Ontario <laughs> like 15 years ago, and she's so she feels so bad about it because she didn't actually intend on hitting you. She it was just a mosh pit. She was like, Woo! you know, <laughs> and, and socked me in the face." And I, it was so funny. So I did a cameo for this person. I was like, "It's okay, I forgive you. It's all good." And then he pressed uh, charges. Like, see yeah, you in court. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, you can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. I was, uh, it, it was really, really fun. But yeah, we, there was a time where there was a lot of mud, especially, you know, the funny thing, because success comes with hate, right? So yeah. we were playing Warp Tours and whenever Warp Tour would go to Canada, which we were bigger in Canada because we we're from Canada, that's where we'd get the most hate. So Interesting. we, yeah, we, we kind of learned to, we learn to understand that if people really, 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 really hate you, it's because you're really, really, really popular. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show.
Yeah, I mean, I've even noticed that even for myself, and I'm obviously nowhere near as successful as you guys are, but even for me, it's like every time I open Reddit, there's some new thread about how much I suck, and it's like, oh, well, I guess this is just what happens when you start to do something that people pay attention to, then, you know. Yeah, people get jealous or they get irritated that you are getting attention, and they just want to slam you down, so. Yeah, I always thought it was so, like, so weird that all of you guys, but especially Simple Plan, would get any hate because all those bands were so nice, you know? And and I, I feel like that's there's a segment of people that don't like nice, that when you're nice, that makes them hate you more. It's because you appear to be happy when you're right. nice, and they're clearly <laughs> unhappy, and they're like, why are you so fucking happy? What are you smiling about? Right. Why are you miserable like me? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and it's also, okay. I think, I think that, you know, I think it, it, it begins in the adolescent age because what you like and what you don't like when you're, when you're a teenager, you know, is all you have. You live at your parents' yeah. house. They have to take you where you want to go. You can't buy your own shit because maybe you do have a job, but you can't, you can't buy everything. So what do you own? You own your taste. You own you know, you own who you are by what you wear. You own, mm-hmm. you, 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 you identify as to, I don't like that. That's who I am. I like this. That's who I am. I wear this. That's who I am. So you develop a, you know, and, and you're trying desperately to separate yourself from your parents and what, what your house looks like, what your room looks like, what you're, what you're unable to control. So what you can control is to tell people what you like and what, and what you dislike. So people get really passionate about that. And some people, have trouble outgrowing that phase and they yeah. just you know like if you look at the comments on uh, epitaph's facebook page that's my favorite people <laughs> in their 40s and 50s still doing that it's like man come on dude come on it's like how about you just uh you know let just you don't like that you let it go let it yeah. go uh well speaking of what you wear um you did your clothing brand role model for quite a while Um, which I thought was really cool. That was kind of back in the era, you know, when the Blink guys were doing like Famous and Atticus and Macbeth, and there's probably some other ones I'm not thinking of. I thought that whole era was really cool and fun. What was that like for you guys? And is that something you would ever bring back? Uh, It was super fun. And you're absolutely right. We saw what Blink was doing. And I think that at the the time, you know, all the bands like us and Newfound and all those people, we were all just walking posters for Billabong, for Hurley. And and they were very simple shirts like I'm wearing today, you know, like um, that we felt like, hey, why why are we promoting all these brands when we could do our own? And oftentimes we were going through stores looking for a certain shirt. Like I want a shirt that looks like this. Like, well, let's just, let's just make one, you know? Um, so seeing after Mark and Tom and Travis did their own lines, we're like, Hey, we can do that. We, we, we create merch for simple plan. Let's just do something like that. And we had a guy um, that used to work for our band. He was kind of the sixth member of the band. His name was Pat and he was our videographer, which we kind of emulated what Blink was doing. They had a guy back in the day called Cheetah who would mm-hmm. do all their DVDs and he was, he'd follow the band everywhere. So Pat was our cheetah and he had the idea for role model. He's like, I have an idea for a clothing brand. It's going to be called role model. We should do it all together. And we're like, okay, cool. We did it. Um, it was super fun. And I'm, I'm a little bit bummed because um, the, uh, it became quite successful. We were in hot topic and we had some cool stuff. We, we talked about doing a deal with this guy that didn't work out in Montreal to do like more elaborate clothing designs. Um, but there was a company, I think in the UK that is, still around called role model clothing and it is a they make scrubs they make stuff for like you know uh, medical stuff and or you know different things uh unrelated to role model clothing that we're doing and for some reason they found out about our success and they came after us and they had the means to sort of uh you know make a cease and desist and all that stuff uh so we looked into buying the name and copywriting it and getting them out or trying to fight it, you know, in the legal system. And it became very costly. And at that point it was during the third album when we were like, no, we don't want to look like that anymore. Now we want to wear stuff that's more sophisticated, you know? So skinny ties. Yeah, exactly. So those two things combined, the fact that we were constantly being harassed by this company that wanted to sue us. And the fact that our style was changing, we just said, you know what guys, let's stop doing this. Um, but uh but yeah i'd love to bring it back it was super fun i like doing it chuck was a big part of it as well him and i did it um and there's a bit of a demand for it so it would be cool 
to do something. I think it's a great name still. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether you take it, you know, uh, you know, sarcastically or seriously, I think it's a good name. Um, so, so we'll see. I, I, we've talked about it many times. I think there's a lot of things that we'd like to do, but you know, we we're all older guys now. All of us have children. We all have different things, and sometimes there's only a certain amount yeah. of hours in the day that you can dedicate to to creativity. So, but yeah, we'd love to do it. We'd love to do. It I again. feel like if you just brought back some of the like classic designs, like yeah. now is the perfect time to do that. Yeah, we did it on our so there was on our anniversary tour, the 15th anniversary tour for No Pads, which happened in 2017. Uh, we reissued the role model number nine shirt that was my shirt and i wore it every night uh and i threw it in the crowd every night and we sold it at the at the merch stand so we did that um so yeah we definitely we just don't use the name role model clothing company anymore so. i see right yes. right because yeah because because you can't because that dumb company that somehow thinks we're a threat i don't understand yeah um another thing you had back then that i thought was really fun was uh you had the mtv show damage control which I seem to remember being part of the same block as like Punked and Viva La Bam, if I recall mm -hmm. correctly. Um, what was that experience like? I think it was like two seasons or something. It was, it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> so it was, I'm very grateful. I, I can't believe I had a show on MTV. Um, I loved that aspect of it. I think it was really cool. I think the people I worked with were amazing. Uh, I think that uh, I I'm just have so much gratitude for that experience. I think financially it was great for me. They paid me really well. Um, but at the time, I really didn't have time to do it. Like I was on tour around the world all the time and um, I was exhausted and I had to come back. Sometimes I was on tour and I had to like, I remember this one time, I think I was in Southeast Asia or Japan or something and I had to go back and shoot a show and come back to Asia to keep going on tour. And it was that time in the band's career where everything was just so busy. And like, like I said, I'd love to rewind and like be smarter and more adult about it. And like maybe drink less, maybe like party less and, and focus more. But I appreciated the opportunity on every level, but I was so burnt out. And I look back, I don't even think I want to watch that show because I just remember just being like, it was like 4 a.m. calls, you know, oh. to and then I had, and, and I, I wasn't that well experienced at being a host. And sometimes I'd go drinking out the night before and I'd have to wake up and talk to these parents. And like there's there's <laughs> hidden cameras and shit going on. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, my God, I just I want to barf and my Still head drunk. hurts. Yeah. And I got to go and I got to go and do a show tomorrow night somewhere else. Um, so it was a tough, tough experience. I don't think I was very good at it. I think I could I could have. I could have put more effort into it and I could have focused more. And I, that, when I, when I think back of damage control, that's what is my biggest takeaway. But like I said, nothing to do with MTV or the people that were there, the producer who's still a friend of mine. I see him once every few years. Um, I had a great experience there. Um, and uh, the, the whole staff, everyone was so, so nice. So as I recall, the premise of the show is that parents would say that they're going away for the weekend or whatever and you would have hidden cameras on the kids at home to see what they were doing. Is that, yeah. is that what it was? Yeah. So it's, it's it basically based on punk. Um, but yeah, so basically, you know, if you had a friend of yours and you're younger and you, you know, you're friends with his parents or whatever, or his or her parents, you'd be like, Hey, there's a show called damage control. We're, we're going to, you know, we want you guys to leave the house. The parents leave the house and rig up the house with some hidden cameras, which is a challenge. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then while the parents are gone, they make crazy shit happen. So it's not like we're trying to catch the kids, you know, doing drugs or, or, you know, hooking up with their boyfriend or girlfriend. It's more like we're going to leave for the weekend and then crazy stuff happens, you know, like, you know, uh, whatever that may have been, there was just, I, it's all such a blur, but, uh, but yeah, it was, so it was one of those hidden things. And then the kids would freak out. And then the parents would have to like run in and while I'm like hidden camera, like, Hey, Hey, it's okay. This is a show called damage control. And some of the people were like, who the fuck are you? I don't know. Simple plan. Right. I, I wasn't, I, I wasn't Ashton Kutcher and, and it wasn't right. like, I couldn't say punked. You've right. been punked. You know, it has you've to been be damage controlled. Just yeah, you've quite, been damage yeah. controlled. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but it was, it was, uh, there was some fun times there, but that was the premise. It was kind of like a punk show, but when kids 
kids' parents would go away and then, you know, craziness would ensue. Yeah. Well, the other thing I got to ask you about, maybe my favorite pop culture moment of that whole era was you guys were in the Mary-Kate and Ashley movie, New York Minute. And for anybody yeah. who hasn't seen it, the plot of the movie is that they skip school so that one of them can give a copy of their demo to Simple Plan. And what was amazing about it to me is like, you know, that you guys were an actual, you just didn't have a song in the movie. It wasn't a cameo. Like you were the actual central focus of, of the, the plot. Yeah. It's How crazy. did that happen? And what that, what was that like? Again, part of that big blur in the first few years, it was, we, we were successful. We were, you know, multi platinum selling artists and, you know, we had a great record label that was pushing in different uh, departments um, to get these t types of deals. And I think this was probably, I'm not sure, probably one of Kevin Weaver's deals. Um, but yeah, we were like, you know, we, we'd opened up for Avril Lavigne. We'd done a bunch of big things on the pop market. We were doing Scooby-Doo things. Um, and uh, that opportunity came about with Mary-Kate and Ashley. And at that point, I remember we were so like, because in the beginning, there were certain decisions that we made as a band that we were like, okay, do we want to go that pop? Because we know we're going to get some heat from it, yeah, such right. as opening for Avril Lavigne. That was it because because K Rock was playing our single. We we were on MTV, but it was like we were kind of cool still. Um, but but that Mary Kate and Ashley movie at that point we knew like okay we've already done Avril we've done all this stuff like let's just let's just keep Fuck pushing. It. We yeah. just want to be in front of as many people as possible, and we know that Mary Kate and Ashley are massive. And uh, so yeah, so we did that. It was super fun. They were really cool. We were on the set for three days. Um, we shot like a basically a show where um where where it, it's in the movie and um it was it was a good time it was and that to this day we play shows and a lot of people say that they discovered our band through new york minutes so i think it was a great thing it was cool and uh you know is it a little cheesy absolutely you know is this fun uh, yeah i mean american pie is cheesy as hell it's like yeah. i don't know why people pretend like those teen movies are some sort of like yeah pie let's, art. let's just say that mary kate nashley is a lot less uh, is a lot more uh g-rated than than sure. american pie but still yeah i mean it's all part of it and if you don't like it you don't have to watch it you know but yeah. uh but i thought but, it was awesome yeah no it's cool it was, it was a fun little movie and it was a great experience and dr drew was in the movie as well another one of my That's favorite right movies. I playing forgot himself. about that. He was in the movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And I love uh, Dr. Drew. He's amazing. Yeah, man. Love line changed my, wife my life. Is, my really wife did. is a massive fan of his. Though it's funny. We met him once. He was at a, at a, a country club dinner that we went to um, at some point and in L.A. at some country club. And he was there. We'd been drinking a little bit, my wife and I. This is uh, years ago. And she was like, it's Dr. Drew over there. I'm going to go tell him he's awesome. And she went over there and was like, I love you. You're, you're, you're the coolest. And he was like, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I got him to sign one of my books, or a copy of his book back oh, in nice. the day. And it was awesome. my, my prized possession. I said, Drew, look, I, I bought, I want you to say I bought the hardback, not the soft cover. Cause I wanted go. you to get paid more. And he said, I did notice. Thank you. <laughs> he's a genius. I think he's very, a very, very incredibly smart man. Yeah, he is. Well, last thing I wanted to ask you about, which was uh, one of your newer songs, uh, best day of my life which really resonated with me because I spend a lot of my energy trying to control my own kind of psychology and stay grateful and kind of stay in that place. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that song and what inspired you to write it? Um, yeah, I think that um, it's a song, you know, that we, we want to write about because I think that, you know, when we made that record, we wrote that song probably three years ago. Um, and, uh, Sometimes, you know, when you get older and a little more mature, you realize that, like, you know, you focus a lot on the, on negativity. You focus a lot on, like, what you could have, what you what you don't have or what you want to get to. And uh, we, uh, Chuck and I, who write songs together, sometimes we have to, like, you know, kind of bring ourselves back to reality and, and look at our lives. You know what I mean? Like, I have a wonderful life. I've been incredibly successful. I have a beautiful home. Uh, I got a beautiful family. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I, I haven't had to have a job since simple plan. This is my only job. It's my career it pays for all the bills. My kids have a wonderful life. Um, and so we were inspired by that. And the chickens. And, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's life is good. Um, so we were inspired by that thought and, uh, and, and sort of like wanted to use this song as a reminder of like, you know, 
I'm, I'm going to live like this is the best day of my life. This is going to, I'm going to focus on the good things. And I love the lyrics in that chorus. To me, we wrote that song. It was Chuck and I and, and, um, and our friend, uh, Nate Campany, awesome, awesome songwriter. Uh, and I was like, all together, we were like, we, we should, we should write a song that every line in the chorus is sort of like an, an idiom about, about, uh, you know, sort of glass half full type thing, you know, or, or uh, so, yeah, it's just it's just a song about focusing on the positivity in your life and and uh, and and just living like you're having a good time, you know, and focus on the good things. Cool. Well, I will let you go. I know you got a busy day. Thank you, so thank you so much for making time for this. And uh, yeah, I will see you next time you come through Seattle. Awesome. It's a pleasure. Thank you for uh, thank you for all that you do, and enjoy the rest of your day. And we'll catch you on the flip side. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast.